Hairbring Comedy Presents! Over the past two decades, I have worked with artists of varying genres. Music, comedy, theater, dance, and more. It has been my observation that while each has its own systems and specificities, they are all relative. Art itself is relative to the observer. As the audience, our appreciation is influenced by our individual perspectives. For artists themselves, motivations and measures of success are just as conditional. In this series, I will be speaking with working class entertainers and artists. We will highlight the unique aspects of their crafts while, hopefully, proving my theory that it is all pretty much the same at their roots. My name is Isaac Landford, and this is The Art of Relativity. Okay, this is The Art of Relativity. I am Isaac Lanford, and I am joined by my longtime friend, Chris Swinney. How are you doing, dude? Hey, man, what's going on? I haven't talked to you in quite a while. It's nice to hear, nice to see your face, man. Yeah, we, uh, we now only talk in podcast interviews. That kind of sucks, because <laughs> the, the last time we had like an actual conversation was like a year and a half, two years ago on my podcast. So yeah, yeah. it's... We we can only converse through through Zoom and letting people hear our conversation. That's yeah, it. yeah. No, uh, no private matters between us. No whatsoever. private matters. No. At the beginning of, of these interviews, I usually I throw a moniker on the person I'm interviewing, and I, I would assume for you, you would still identify if I were to say I'm talking to musician Chris Swinney, or is like podcaster now the way you identify. <laughs> Um, I would say first and foremost, music is the most important thing. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I started doing the podcast because I, I didn't feel connected to the music scene that I used to be a part of. So it goes hand in hand, but I don't mind podcaster. I've, I had a couple big YouTuber guys on my podcast and I was like, can I say you're a YouTuber? Like it, it sounds derogatory. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it does. And podcaster. I mean, the weird thing about that is that. Uh, it's a very broad term. Oh yeah, totally. Incredibly I mean, you, you, broad. You could just be on your phone, like saying a poem and then put it up on the internet and you could be a podcaster. Right? Yeah. It does take very little to, to gain that title. I always talk about, uh, when I do my classes on comedy, like I talk to the students about comedy is such a broad term, but we call people comedians. That's like saying musicians. There are so yeah. many nuances to either of those titles to break down as as to what because are you a percussionist like what is this that, <laughs> are you a jazz artist like you know what is it you do there are a lot of variations but we'll get into it but currently you do have a successful podcast yeah it, it kind of blows me away like I did it out of boredom uh, I had this thing I called my digital rolodex of famous people <laughs> and uh, I did it because I loved podcasts. And I had a couple buddies who had successful ones and they kind of coached me through it. And I mean, I worked hard on it. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm anal about it with the editing and the mixing and, and everything. But yeah, man, I, I don't have to do much anymore. I publicists just hit me up. I don't, I've had, yeah. I just did an episode with fat Mike from no effects, which is the top of my mountain. So other than that, it's Metallica. That's all I got to do. Yeah, to to come from the background that we do, having Fat Mike on is is kind of a big deal. <laughs> and he so, fucking remembered me too. It was insane, oh, nice. like because yeah. we'd met like four or five times, and he like 
remembered shit we talked about. It was the weirdest, most surreal moment of the entire podcast. So I can just stop now and I'm happy. A guy like him too. I mean, I've never met him, so I can't say, but I would assume he's not a guy who simply played in a band and wrote off of that. Like, I mean, he is a businessman and part of success in that industry is remembering people and yeah. maintaining relationships and carrying. On. So explain to us what the podcast is. I know what it is, but <laughs> you, you've been a guest on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, basically it's called that one time on tour. I had the idea for the name first and I sat with it for a while, and I, for a while I thought it was kind of dumb, but it's got this cool like acronym, T-O-T-O-T. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, my wife hated the name, but uh, <laughs> one day I got a hold of my our mutual buddy Joel Green. He used to play in the Widow Jenkins with me. He was in the band Emery, and I was like, hey, I've got an idea. I want to do a podcast. Will you be my guinea pig? I didn't want to do like someone that lives around here. I wanted to do somebody. It was remote. It was over FaceTime. I wanted yeah. to... This is way pre-pandemic. This is I was ahead of my time. So uh, I just kind of talked to him. I had no notes because I know Joel really well, just like you do. Mm. And I just, we talked about being on the road. We met on tour, you know, like, yeah. and it was an hour conversation and it was kind of cool. So I put it up on SoundCloud because I didn't know how to do anything. And mm-hmm. I promoted it. And literally within a week, I had like a thousand downloads. Yeah, so it just kind of incredible went. In, in for podcast, a new podcast too. <laughs> no, I mean, that was the thing because I, I, I talked to my friends who had fairly successful podcasts in the music realm and they're like, you got that in a week. Like they weren't like they, they had successful podcasts that they weren't even getting that. Yeah. And I don't know if it was cause Joel was in a bigger band or if people just found it. I, I don't understand what happened, but it just grew from there. And, People kept saying yes, and I, I feel like I got better. I started preparing, and I have two or three pages of notes. I had four pages for Fat Mike. I was going crazy. <laughs> but it just kind of, I don't know. What what I found through it was people would say, well, well what is it? And I'm like, well, it's a podcast. They're like, well, what, what are we going to do? You're going to interview me? I'm like, well, we're just going to talk. I'm going to have like some talking points, but we're just going to have a conversation. And then some people would say no. And then I would say like, you know, you're going to come talk about yourself for an hour. It's, it's shower you with praise hour. Like it's going to be fun. Go ahead. So I would, some people I would talk into it, but yeah, man, I've, I was looking through my list the other day. I've, I'm up to 146, my 146th episode comes out next week. And literally there might be four or five people I haven't talked to yet that basically molded my childhood. Yeah. So it's crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't know why it worked. There's a million music podcasts. I'm not a famous person. I've played in a couple decent bands. That's it. So, I mean, I don't really know why it happened, but it's, it's kicking, man. I'm on a network now. Things are going well. Yeah, that's awesome. I, one note I want to say is I had, I've still to this day, never heard Joel's old band Emery. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the band at all. They I'll scream see... and they sing yeah. pretty. And then it's one of those things. They were on uh, yeah. tooth and nail, you know, I'll see kids, not kids anymore. Now they're adult men wearing the shirt. Yeah. And I always be like, Hey, I, uh, I was like, I know a guy that played in that band. And did he go by a nickname when he was in the band? Chopper chopper. Yeah. yeah. Because I'll say, yeah, I know Joel Green. And they'll like look at me and then like, they'll be like, Oh, chopper. 
<laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yep, I know yep. that, dude. That's funny. <laughs> so, all right, we we set the the groundwork for the podcast that you're doing currently here. So, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go back a let's little go, bit. Let's go all the way back, man. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, because I feel like to a certain extent, this podcast is a bit of a culmination of different things that you've been doing for decades yeah coming in at once so you you were from the same area that i'm from we're from grant county indiana we grew up literally a few miles apart yeah yeah uh the, i've been saying recently i mine was slightly more rural than yours because you at least like had gas stations but i'm like slightly. i grew up between a crick and a cornfield you know like <laughs> I, could you get cable tv where you live no they still can't well, see, we could get cable because we were in town. <laughs> yeah. But you were literally like a two-minute drive from my house. It wasn't yeah. a big deal, yeah. It was close. And so I I remember we met somewhere in the variation. Of, like, I don't know. I might have still been in middle school. I might have been in high school. Uh, you were a couple years ahead of me. Yeah. But you, from the time I ever knew who you were, it was already you were in a band <laughs> And you were, that is what you were going to do. I, I never had a backup plan, man. And I, I mean, even other, even during my life, other than, you know, working at a gas station to fucking pay rent or whatever, yeah. you know, during my life, any job that I've had, that's really paid my bills, like a career, everything's been in that realm. Like even when I worked at a corporate entertainment place down in Alabama on the beach, like it's still, I was booking bands. I was Everything in my life has had either performing or, you know, now I'm also mixing and mastering. I'm, I'm, I'm up for a couple big jobs that kind of blow my mind. We'll talk about off the air. Cause I, there's a couple other guys up for yeah. it too, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird, man. Like I remember I got a guitar when I was seven. I took it seriously when I was about 11. I was just kind of fucking around with it at first. Mm-hmm. And since I was 11 or 12 years old, I heard master of puppets. I've never wanted to do anything else. Like, my wife kind of like, we have these conversations where she said, you're lucky because you have a passion. And I'm like, I kind of feel lucky because some people don't know what they like or don't know what they want to do. And it's not been an easy road and it's been a hustler's mentality my entire adult life to pay bills and do what I want to do. But I don't want to do anything else. One of the reasons I moved back to Indiana is because I knew I could teach guitar and have free time for my kids and not work some shit job I didn't want to work. Yeah. Yeah, it that balance becomes hard because the fact of the matter is in th- these fields there is a very small percentage that are going to we'll use the term make it. Yeah, yeah. Because make And it ma- means, make it can just mean pay your fucking bills and eat food. Yeah, there there is such a there's a giant field between being a famous person or a ex- extremely wealthy entertainer. Yeah. And then the next step down is like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year of a step down. <laughs> the ga- the gap between the guys in Metallica and then some of the bands that changed my life is a massive fucking gap. Yeah. And it's crazy at this point when, you know, <laughs> There's the bands, some of the bands that we grew up listening to, like the those melodic punk bands. Yeah. They're still playing, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but like 
sometimes I see videos and stuff and I'm like, oh, fuck. This is where it's like, I mean, I'm glad for them that they're still doing it and they still enjoy it or whatever. But I'm like, man, there's no retirement plan here. Like what, you know, where do you go? Well, I'll I'll give you an example of that, too. Like uh, I've gotten to be very close with Jordan, the drummer of Strung Out through the podcast. He was on the show and we've just become really good friends. We text all the time and and he was telling me he's like you know because he's no longer in the band like it wasn't a big falling out or anything it just it just wasn't working and he was like you know a few years back we were playing these venues and it was selling out and things were kicking ass he goes and you know we're all pretty much lifers but it's gone downhill you know and when you see even bands like i love the whole uh that band trapped yeah, yeah that uh they're playing like state fairs and stuff now and normally yeah. i'd be like well you know state fairs pay a lot of money but it's it's hard to stay at a certain level for a long period of time i mean I've, I've had a lot of bands on the podcast that we talk about that a lot not just with jordan but like chris demakes from less than jake was on and we were talking about you know i said i hope you don't take this wrong but you guys to me are one of those legacy bands you guys could tour until you die and play three of the albums out of your 10 that you've put out and people would be happy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, we can play anywhere we want and we'll get our guarantee. But he goes, it's not like it used to be. Right. Yeah. It's changed for everybody. Like you think of a band that you and I love, like we love rancid, right? Yep. Now I'm not saying rancid can't sell places out still, but do you think it's like it was in the nineties? No, no. And it, it very, I think very few, it's only that upper echelon where it stays that way. And even then, like their ticket prices go up. There's reasons yeah. ticket prices are going up. It's not yeah. just greed. It's because, well, we, less people can come Yeah, and you can still make the, that same amount of money. Yeah. It's why that, uh, that there's no net. I guess is what it comes down to. It's like, you really do have to hustle and keep moving at whatever level it's at. There's Ozzy Osbourne still releasing albums. (laughs) And I doubt it's because he just fucking loves like going on tour so much. And (laughs) I I will say, I think there are exceptions to that rule. Like I, you know, I talk about it on my podcast all the time. There's no, I don't make it a secret that I love Metallica. I don't dig all the new stuff. I still like the first four records, but the guy is like, I feel like I'm friends with them, even though I'm not sure. And I've heard these interviews with James and with Lars and these guys. And they're like, we know we're worth hundreds of millions of dollars and you might not like the new stuff, but like he said, this is what we do. Sure. Like, what do you want us to do? You want us to retire? Like we like writing music. We like playing. I mean, Dave Grohl even said that on the whole, I've heard interviews. He was on Howard Stern where he was talking about all the flack he caught for starting the Foo Fighters. He's like, yeah, it kind of sounds like Nirvana. It's rock and roll and guitars and drums. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not a banker. Like, I play music. Like, yeah. And I don't think money or success really affects that. I think it can change your outlook. Like, if I won the lottery tomorrow and I never had to do anything I never wanted to do ever again, I'd still fucking play guitar. I'd still write songs, you know? Sure. Sure. It. You hear people criticize aging bands i'll use that term just bands that have been around for a long time people criticize them if they still sound the same as they used to slayer if they haven't yeah if they haven't (laughs) evolved yeah but then people also criticize them yeah 
if they change the way they're playing, like, oh, they're getting old now. I can't imagine much worse than, like, guys in their 40s into their 50s who are writing songs from the perspective of a 22-year-old. I mean, Blink gets that shit quite a lot, but I will say their last record was a little more mature. But, yeah, like, that that's the thing. Like, I, I don't... I don't think bands when they're 40s or 50s should be singing about prom night and fucking going to the rock show with the with his girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that to me is weird. Like, I like, you know, you mentioned before, and I'm always gonna be a fanboy for Rancid. Me too. I yeah. like all of their albums because I'm getting older. They're older than me, and their <laughs> albums tend to still kind of match where I'm at. I think that's a good point to bring up because, you know, we were talking about Rancid. I always talk about Metallica. Like, I'm not saying their last album, Hardwired, was better than Master of Puppets. But where I'm at in my life right now with the music that I like and the changes that I've gone through, I think it hits me better than it would like a 14-year-old kid that just discovered metal, you know? Yeah, sure. You're never going to, like... I'm trying to off the top of my head think of a good example here. Like, if a kid is like, oh, I, I'm really starting to like, I heard some of this 90s hip-hop, it's pretty good. <laughs> You're not going to go, oh, well, then you should listen to one of the records that Snoop Dogg put out on No Limit. Yeah. <laughs> you should listen to the Snoop Lion record he recorded <laughs> yeah. in Kingston, right? No, you're going to give him the fucking chronic and doggy <clears throat> style because that's yeah. the quintessential. And if they love it and they want to dig into the catalog, then fine. I am a Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. And, but... I came into that later and I listened to like everything in a pretty concise amount of time. And I realized I like Springsteen enough to say I'm a Springsteen fan. I think I really like Bruce Springsteen and the E street band. And I think I really like two albums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the rest is fine, but that's what I like. And they're the shit that is older than me. You're talking like Born to Run and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, Born to right? Run. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, I like Born in the USA as well. Yeah. Uh, but like a lot of the stuff that, you know, the more hardcore fans are into, like I don't really dig that shit. I don't, I don't want to listen to like country from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, like he's got that record that came out a few years ago called Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. And it's very singer-songwriter kind of like, I get it, but I'm yeah. not going to listen to that. I, I mean, if I'm going to listen to singer-songwriter stuff – I'm just going to put on like old school Cat Stevens or something. I'm not going to listen to Bruce Springsteen doing his version of that, you know. Sure, and I I think I'll say I like The River, but I only like like a quarter of The River to be yeah. honest. Yeah. But what I mean, Bruce Springsteen's doing fine without us. So, <laughs> hey, hey, did you you do know uh his drummer for the E Street band Max Weinberg? Yeah. His son is the drummer in Slipknot now. I didn't know that, but I did see him on one of those like musician compilation, like those remote videos. Yeah. With the uh, oh, what's the one that he was on? But it was like like one of the metal versions. It was one of those two minutes to midnight. Yes, that, that two group minutes from to midnight. New York. Yeah. Yeah. My my was friend, pretty cool. A couple of the guys from Baroness, uh, you know, our mutual friend Brian works with them. Yeah. Uh, I think Gina did one of those too. She did like an Iron Maiden song or something. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Dude, right. I've, got, I've got one of those coming out. I finally got asked. Oh, I, really? I'd, I'd never been asked. And uh, Jarrett for Bowling for Soup was on my, my podcast. It's not uh -huh. out yet. 
and he hooked me up with these guys. They're doing a Descendants song. They're doing clean sheets, and they needed someone to play the guitar solo, so I got to do the fucking guitar solo. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm going to jump back in a timeline here. Yes. So as you start playing music, you form a band with, like, basically your fr- – now, I, what I need to know is these are, like, your buddies. You guys didn't become buddies because you played instruments and met each other through that. You were friends. Did you – was it, like, boot camp? Like, you're going to play this, you're going to play that, and we're going to make a band? Here's exactly how it started. I don't want to bore everybody, but it's kind of a cool story. Uh my best friend in elementary school was a guy named Joey Levinsky. You know Joey. Yeah. Yeah. Joey and I both played guitar. Our whole life, our whole dream was to start a band, our, our young life. Yeah. And Joey, his dad was a musician. His dad was a musician. His dad taught me my first couple chords before I took lessons. Like, it was a big influence on me getting me into music. I remember we would sit on the couch and tell his dad to figure out a Metallica song or an Iron Maiden song. And he'd try for like five minutes and go, I don't like this shit. He'd put the guitar away. <laughs> but so Joey lived out in the country and his neighbors were Jason and Troy, who I ended up starting the band with. Mm-hmm. Now, when we started the band, it was the, I think the summer right before freshman year. And Joey, his dad got a job and they moved to Georgia. So it was, we had this band like figured out, but we'd never played. Jason had a bass, but didn't know how to play. Joey and I both were, you know, good for eighth graders on on guitar. And Troy didn't do anything. (laughs) So when Joey moved away, then I'm like, well, shit. What are we going to do now? It's just me and Jason. And I don't know Jason that well because we went to different elementary schools. And you know what I mean? Like, it was just weird. But we got to be best friends through the whole trying to get the band going, trying to write. I remember we didn't even play a cover. We wrote a song the first practice that we had as a band. It was a shitty song. (laughs) Sure. It was called Reality, and it had like three chords in it, and one of the lines that Jason wrote was, I'll sell your baby for a piece of crack or something. It was the dumbest song ever. <laughs> you probably remember that if you try real hard. We, we played that even into the high school days, but it went away pretty quick. And this is like, it got to be 92, 93. 92. Okay. Yeah. So were you guys, were you, were you writing grunge songs? It was a weird combination. I, I remember... The covers that we were playing, we were doing the the a, a lot of Nirvana, a lot of Ramones. So it was mm-hmm. kind of had that punk element. Uh, we were doing some Pennywise songs, which we never played very well mm-hmm. um, until we got older. Then they sounded okay. Um, and we were doing a lot of Metallica stuff. And I, I want to say, what we did, we we tried to do some No Effects after we got into that stuff because right away yeah. when the band started, the punk stuff it was there, but we we hadn't latched on to that being like our thing yet. I'm sure it hadn't really fully gotten to us. In some, the some of either. it, some of it had the Pennywise thing came from, uh, I saw the offspring on one of their videos for smash. They had a Pennywise shirt on noodles did. Mm-hmm. And, and I would love offspring. I mean, you know, as well as I do when you were a kid in the Midwest trying to find some angsty music, Oh my God, smash came out. Yeah. And then Dookie comes out and mm-hmm. then you find all the other bands and the other bands spoke to me a little bit more. But that entry for me wa- was those two bands when punk broke 93, 94, whenever it was. But yeah, there was a lot of 
attempting to do Alice in Chains, but then realizing that none of us were going to be able to sing that shit. <laughs> uh, a lot of Metallica, but never a full Metallica song, just a snippet because no one could play the lead guitar part. And yeah, a lot of Ramones. We we played a shit ton of Ramones stuff, man. That was kind of my entry other than Offspring and Green Day. My dad loved the Ramones, so I always kind of knew about that. Yeah. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I have a theory on wh- what your answer is going to be to this, but who was your version of like the older cousin in the leather jacket giving you a mixtape that like changed your uh, your influence on music? Well, I'll tell there's a couple for me. The, the first thing that really got me going was I was born in 1978. Um, that makes me 42, almost 43. Fucking old shit, man. <laughs> um, so uh, the first time that I really got into that from like the older person point of view, like you're saying, my uncle Jeff, who is no longer married to my aunt Missy, but we've stayed in contact. He was a big influence on me. I, like I said, I was born in 78, I think two or three years after master of puppets came out. So that was like 86. He gave me a copy of it on cassette for my birthday. I think it was 88 or 89. So I was like 10 or 11. I'd already been playing guitar, but that's what kind of solidified it for me. And he always turned me on to cool stuff. I wouldn't have known. He was more the metal guy. Yeah. Like it was iron maiden anthrax, you know, uh, diamond head, shit like that. But then when I really started getting into the other stuff, Joey's sister, her boyfriend at the time. So he was probably a senior at Eastbrook. We were in like eighth grade or something, maybe seventh grade. He had this shitty Camaro he'd drive over and we would get into his Camaro when he wasn't looking and steal tapes. And I, I, I remember he had like a minor threat tape. Mm -hmm. I think he had like a black flag tape and I don't remember getting super into that until later, but being exposed to that and knowing that, Oh, here's this metal stuff and it's very aggressive and I'm mad at my parents. So I'm going to listen to metal. But then there's this other stuff that has the aggression, but it's raw and it's not produced and it almost made you feel more. And, and you didn't have to be Steve Vai to play it. You didn't have to be Eddie yeah. Van Halen to play it. You could just hit your guitar as hard as you want and scream. And it was the same, the same thing. So those are my two experiences. My uncle giving me the metal stuff when I was super young. And then, uh, yeah, that guy, which I don't even remember his fucking name. He just had a bunch of cool tapes in his car. <laughs> and we, we would steal the tapes. And my dad influenced me quite a bit. Yeah, my dad. I, that's what I was waiting for. I know that your dad really turned you on to a lot of well, well, that everything. Was, yeah, that was the thing. Like those are those are kind of the other things that got me into the stuff I later liked. But for my dad, it was like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, like the stuff that dads listen to when you yeah. grow up in the nineties. You know. Yep. But the cool thing about my dad was that he was so open to new stuff. So when I started listening. <laughs> I started listening to weirder stuff or more stuff that was just mine, you know, like the punk stuff and the metal stuff. He would listen to it. And if he liked it, he would go buy it. He would go to karma and he bought a Pennywise album. He bought a misfits tape. Like it was just crazy. He bought (laughs) the story I've told on the podcast a million times. There's this band called nail bomb. Now nail bomb is a side project from Max Cavalera from Sepultura or some of the people that we went to high school with called him Sepultra. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, Max from Sepultura and uh, this guy, uh, 
God, why can't I? Alex Newport. I can't remember his name. He's a producer. He's done all kinds of stuff. He did a Brazil record, the, the band that I played mm-hmm. in for a while. And uh, it was just those two guys, and it was the heaviest, most insane shit you've ever heard in your life. Hardcore punk metal just mixed together, screaming vocals. It, it almost makes you want to throw up. It's so jarring. Mm-hmm. My dad heard that at Karma one day when he walked into the record store. They had it because they always have, like, this is what we're playing, and here's the little plaque. Yeah. He asked the guy what it was. The guy told him, he goes, I want to buy that. So he bought it. It was like his favorite shit ever. And when I was on tour with Brazil, we went to Los Angeles. We stayed. We didn't have a place to stay. So Alex let us stay at his studio in L.A. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it would mean so much to me if I could get you on the phone with my dad. Because he loved and he's like, dude, no one ever tells me they like nail bomb. They tell me they like all the stuff I produce. So I called him and, and my dad talked to him for like a fucking hour, man. It was it yeah. was the coolest thing ever. So yeah, my dad liked a lot of weird stuff. It was kind of cool. Yeah, nice. So as you're playing in this band and we hit like you mentioned the albums before, nineteen ninety four, known as the year that punk broke. You yeah. had Smash and Dookie, and although Rancid it was ninety five with an outcome of the wolves, but Let's Go did pretty well. Let's Go did great itself in ninety four. I and mean they had a video on MTV, that's how I heard of them. I mean, you've also got bad religion because I mean, not yeah. only did Brett have all those band not not Dookie and like Green Day. But, you know, he had the epitaph stuff going, which was rancid and offspring and mm. bad religion was right there with all those guys. They were signed yeah. to a major before some of those other ones did, you know. Right. So in came this uh, this whatever you want to call the new school punk, the melodic punk like this, this new wave in the 90s. And so naturally the band you're playing in, that's the genre that you're playing. Yeah, you're teenagers I, in a band. That's what's popular. It's the music you like. That's what you're doing. I, I think now people refer to it as skate punk. Mm-hmm. I, I we never yeah. called it that. We just kind of it wasn't pop punk, but that that's the thing that kind of sucks now. The a lot ju- of people call that pop punk. Yeah, right? or they call it mall punk because you could get yeah. a no use for a name shirt at Hot Topic. Like right. hell yeah, dude! I don't have to mail order and wait eight months <laughs> to get it. I'd rather go buy it at Hot Topic. You know. And you know what? I think that mall punk isn't necessarily a terrible term for it. It has a bad connotation because it's like, oh, it's corporate. It's this. But really, it's like it hit the suburbs. It hit middle America. Yeah, it was it like we were kids. Like I say, I grew up between a crick and a cornfield and I was wearing a no effect shirt. Yeah. And yeah. had a mohawk, you know, and, and you had an, and it had a noid necklace. You got to talk had about the noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you and your hustle started immediately. Like you were you were booking shows, you were trying to play at the the school if the school had a way for you to play. You're playing at the the local festivals at the small towns. I'm I'm telling you, dude, like I'm not like tooting my own horn or anything, but when I realized, oh, this is fun. People think it's cool. I'm playing guitar and girls are talking to me. Like that wasn't why I did it. I love the music. But when I realized that all I have to do is try to push this out to as many people as possible. And we were overconfident. You always are when you're sure. a young kid in a band. We thought we were fucking amazing. We And now you listen to it and it fucking sucked. But whatever. We had the passion. We were excited. But yeah, we played halftime at the football games where I played football. So I would actually stand there and play my <laughs> guitar with my with my shoulder pads on. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was crazy. We played arts night at, at, in the auditorium. We, we talked, okay. <laughs> 
this is how crazy it got. There was this thing at Eastbrook called Panther Edition. I know you know what that is. Yeah, that was the newspaper, right? No, no. Or what? No, what was that? Panther Edition is like the swing choir where you dance oh, and you sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. So I was like a sophomore, I think. All of the people that were in the band that played while those people danced and sang, they had graduated. They'd like they'd aged out, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I think Mr. Wright was his name, possibly. Yeah. He was always like, hey, you know, you play guitar. You should come do this thing. You get extra credit and blah, 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 all this crap. And so I said, here's the deal. I said, not only will I do it, I'll get my drummer and I'll get my bass player. But I said, here's the thing. We'll do it for the next three years. You won't have one bitch. We'll get it all done. But every concert, we get to play an original song. <laughs> so so he, he, uh, he agreed to it with one condition. He's like, every concert, there will be one to two songs where we don't want live music. It'll be a tape. On the taped songs, you have to dance and sing. Uh, and I was like, fucking deal, man. That's cool with me. Yeah. So we, it was so weird because you've, everybody listening has been to like a school choir concert where maybe they're dancing yeah. and singing. Yeah. You're wearing weird, like sparkly blue yeah. outfits. <laughs> <coughs> and so this is how it would go. You would, we would start and we're just standing there. We're in the side, like our little orchestra pit thing. Like we're playing and we're playing like, I got rhythm. Like we're playing all this dumb shit. <laughs> And then in the middle of the concert, the lights would go down <laughs> and we'd still be in our little thing off to the side of the stage. And someone would go, ladies and gentlemen, chronic chaos with an original song. And we'd play our fucking song and everybody would clap. And then we'd go back to I got rhythm. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that story. I, I think I remember yearbook photos yeah. of you guys with the, the swing choir. Now, so after graduation, did you... How, when did you go on your first tour? How soon after you graduated from high school? Okay. So (laughs) this is, this is funny. Um, so the, the summer after I graduated, the internet was in its infancy and there were some message boards that I frequented about punk rock and metal and whatever. Mm -hmm. And there were these guys in Vermont that were like, Hey, we're booking this show. It's going to be amazing. All these bands are coming. And, and I was like, I'd like to play that show, not realizing Vermont is 17 hours away. Yeah, yeah. And so these guys were like, cool, you can play. And I'm like, cool, how much do we get paid? 50 bucks, which sounded great at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so so I booked that show, and I hit him back the next day, and I'm like, is there any other shows around? Like, it'd be cool if we could play two instead of driving all the way there. And I'm like, yeah, we'll get you this show in New Hampshire. I'm like, okay, cool. So then I had to break the news to my parents like, hey, can I borrow grandma's van? I, I know I'm 18 and, and, and Troy's only 17, but we're going to drive to Vermont and we're going to play two shows and we're going to drive back. And the coolest thing about that was my dad goes, well, that's our anniversary weekend. I've never been to Vermont. Let's just go. So <laughs> me and the other guys in the band are in my dad's Malibu. And my mom and my sister and my dad are in my grandma's Oldsmobile silhouette minivan with all our gear 
and oh, we followed yeah. each other to Vermont. That was my nice. first like taste of leaving the state. It wasn't let's go to Cincinnati and play a show. It yeah, was let's drive to, to New England and play a fucking <laughs> show. And you pretty much jumped in. Now I know like in retrospect this might be a little bit muddy, but like I know you started touring. You started booking and going out on as many tours as you could go on. I was going you with started, other bands and everything, yeah. Yeah, you were recording albums. You were self-producing albums, pressing CDs, yep. doing this whole hustle, getting the band going. You also you went to record, like school for audio engineering. I went to get my certification for Pro Tools when it was... It wasn't cut quite the standard yet for recording like music. It was more mm-hmm. for like production and like movies and TV and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I went, uh, me and two of the guys from my band went to Chillicothe, Ohio to the recording workshop and we got our certification for that. And that actually, I'm really glad I did that because even now recording, like I've got my logic session up right now with you, you know, like yeah. just yep. having that background, even though most of it was analog, some of it was digital. But it, it gave me a better understanding for it. So, like, that's one of the best things I ever did in my life was learn how all that shit works, you know, like the ins and outs of recording something. Yeah, and not everybody in the arts ever delves into the technical side of things. Yeah. And it really opens up a lot of doors for you. And I know it has for you yeah. throughout the years, like having that experience to be able to run the business side of things or the actual, like, mechanical part of things is huge. It makes you valuable on a tour too. Well, yeah, totally. That's where most of the jobs that I've got, you know, that weren't, that wasn't playing music has been tour managing or guitar tech or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I mean, I just always said, yes, I never, when someone would go, Hey, do you want to go on tour for eight weeks and sell merch? You'll make a hundred bucks a week. Yes. Like, do you want to go yeah. drive the van for us for two weeks? Yes. Like I, I just always felt like, and it sounds stupid, but it's it served me well. If you put yourself in a situation where something could happen, like you could get asked to join a band, or you could, you could, you know, go up a level or whatever, you have yeah. to put yourself there. You have to put yourself out there. And yeah, I just never said no. Every time someone asked me, I'd say, "Yeah, well, let's do it." Yeah. So for, and I know you actually. Okay, I'm gonna jump back one second there was a time that you dipped your toe into oh i'll go to college and i'll get like I, like what was your idea twice. what was your oh twice what was your idea when you enrolled in school i listen my mom and dad wanted me to do it i never thought it was gonna work or happen i didn't like think yeah. from day one i was gonna quit or anything sure but i was like that's eh, what you do you know, like right. e- even though I wanted to make it in music, I wanted to make that my life. It was still like college is social and there's parties and girls yeah. and yeah, yeah, let's try that sure. out. Mm-hmm. But when I went to school, my, my, I remember my, my mom was like, well, what are you going to study? And I'm like, well, I'm going to study music. And she's like, well, <laughs> what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, well, play music. Yeah. I said, you're the ones that want me to get this degree. Like I'm, I'm not going to do psychology or something like, I'm, yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with psychology. Just, I had no interest in that. Yeah. So I went for a couple years on and off two different times. And it just, it, it wasn't my thing, man. In high school, high school was easy. Sure. College. What? Like I had to work. 
in high school, yeah. high school, I could wake up, shit, I didn't do my homework, and I get it done in the car on the way to fucking, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't matter. I could get it done, and I got good grades, and everything was easy. College, like, shit, you have to do stuff in college. Yeah, and I bring it up just because I was wondering if it was one of those scenarios where it was like, oh, I guess I should have a fallback, but that wasn't it. It was no. It was like, oh, okay, I'll do this to, to appease people, but the, the, I, the plan never changed. It was the still... plan, plan never changed, but I always had a really good relationship with my folks, and they wanted me to try it. Yeah. And, I mean, another thing, the reason I started getting tattooed so heavily is because I didn't want a backup plan. You're, oh, backing yourself into the corner. I was so like, that, if yeah. I, okay, because there, as you know, as someone counterculture-esque like myself, <laughs> there are certain tattoos called job stoppers. Mm-hmm. The only one I don't have now is my face. Which evidently doesn't seem to be as big of a deal now. No. I mean, I work with the public. I teach children yeah. how to play guitar. And sometimes when a new student comes in, their parents are a little jarred when they see me. They're like, whoa. But mm-hmm. then they, the questions start. Do you give tattoos? Like, no, I just enjoy getting tattoos. But yeah, that was my thing. Like everybody, that whole thing where people say you should have a backup plan. Well, yeah. But if you have a backup plan, how hard are you going to work for the first plan? Yeah. I mean, then you have options. I didn't want an option. I didn't want to be poor and and living on the street because I love playing guitar. But I also have a really good family and knew that probably would never happen to me. Right. I'm not saying that I was like, well, I'll be fine because my parents will take care of me. I was just saying, like, if shit hits the fan, I can go live somewhere and eat a sandwich, you know, like, yeah, I'll figure it out. When you're in your mid twenties and you're playing in this band, and at this point you are me, you're playing shows with people that you have looked up to. You're, yeah. you're playing big shows. You're going on festivals. You're doing those things. In your head at that point, what is the goal? Is there a, a is there a real goal, or is this like an ambiguous movement through time? It's it's kind of both, but there there definitely in my mind was a goal. I I can't speak for the other guys in the band, but for me, it was always to get to the next step, next level, whatever that level is. The level that we were at at the time you're speaking of, you know, playing Warp Tour, you were there with us on Warp mm-hmm. Tour. My next logical step in my mind is, okay, there's like four or five record labels I really like. Maybe one of those record labels will like us. We'll put out a release on one of those bigger labels. The tours will get bigger. It wasn't ever, I'm going to be a rich rock star. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, there was, every time we would get to a level, like, oh man, yeah, we're on Warp Tour. Everybody would be stoked and I'd be like, ready to go to the next thing. Let's Let's, let's figure out the next rung on the ladder. That was always my mindset, which kind of hinders me sometimes because I'm not always able to be happy in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's like, even with the podcast, like I should be so fucking stoked. And I just, every day I'm like, how can I make it bigger? (laughs) And I don't know if that's a good way to be like, I should just enjoy the fact that I can put out an episode and it's going to get listened to by two people, let alone 20,000 people. You know what I mean? Like I should be happy and I am happy. I just don't think I'm never like content. I'm always ready to punch forward to the next thing. And that's how it was with the band too. Yeah. I, I understand that 100%. That might've killed that band too. Honestly. Well, and that, that was the next point I was going to make is, you know, 
as is natural. You're playing in a band with the same guys for all the way through high school, and yeah. then how many years after high school the first band goes, like, another six years or so? It was about five or six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which, I mean, is a long run for a band anyway. We were a band for almost 11 years, yeah. Yeah, that's wild. And is natural. You guys are getting into your late 20s at that, or mid to late 20s. Yeah, yeah. And priorities start changing for individuals. Things start getting a little bit different. And so the first band ends up dissolving. You start another band and with, it has like, it's more current to what the current trends in music were. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I will point out, we're talking this whole time about counterculture and punk rock. When we say the trends in music, we're talking about the trends within our little sub genre of the world. Not 20 not years ago. On the radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so and then it, start, it was modern 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you start another band, you play, uh, and you basically, I'm from my perspective, you were able to parlay and like not a whole lot changed in terms of like your level or status as a band. Well, no. And, and that's, that's another thing that killed that band because what happened with that band was I left my first band, which was called chronic chaos. And we were at a level that, I mean, we weren't, huge but people knew who we were we'd go to florida mm-hmm. and there'd be people there like like we did some tours and people knew who we were we were getting our name out yeah. so when i started the widow jenkins i didn't want there to be any lag at all i wanted like i was in a band at this size i want to continue to be this size with this brand new entity that i created mm-hmm. and then take it even further the issue was certain people that were in that band didn't have the work ethic. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. They just weren't ready for, Oh, we wrote all these songs. Now boot camp starts. And that's how I always was. And I killed that fucking band too. Yeah. And again, you know, you talk about priorities do change for people. Some people also in, in any field, but you're talking about in performance where you're an artist, you love the creation part. And then when it comes like the other things that go along with like, what does it take to be successful in this? Yeah. Not even a slight on people. Just that's not for everyone. Well, that's the thing I've always, people say you're left or your right brain, left brains, creative, right brain is, is analytical or whatever. I've always been super balanced and I'm not like being cocky or anything. It's just, I love writing music and I love making art and being creative. But if business happens, I'll take care of that shit. Yeah. And I think that some people are like, I love making music and I'm an artist and blah, 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 blah. But they're not on time. They're not professional. They don't know what a spreadsheet is. They, I mean, I've worked with many people like that and it's not a slight against them, but there has to be people with my type of personality in a band or a comedy troupe or whatever the fuck you're talking about, or it's not going to happen because you can be the best musician, artist, comedian in the world. But if you're not taking care of business, you're not fucking going anywhere. No, it's true. And you know, there are times when you're working in groups like that, where there are people who it ends up just relegated to like, Hey, their talent, in this they yeah. they they're not going to end up having as much of a say because they don't even have the interest in being involved to that degree and you mentioned uh, like comedy troupe because you and i also like while you're playing in the bands we also had a comedy troupe we yeah. did a mock band and made these movies so i point that out just to say you've gone to 
gotten certification as an audio engineer. You are handling the business side of being in a band. You're writing music and performing music. You've also then working in short films and doing some acting and some live comedy stuff. So you're you're bringing a pretty uh, eclectic mixed bag of talents along with you <laughs> as you're going here. Uh, so the second band that you're in, which it's still crazy, we're talking about a span of like 15 years and it's only two bands. I mean, yeah, that's there were other like. I went on tour with the migraines and played bass and I, mm-hmm. there were other little like guest spot things, but yeah, those were actually like bands that I started that were like my babies. There were only two. Yeah. Yeah. So then that moves us into as the second band disintegrates or deteriorates or however we want to say, which how, what it's like three, four how long you guys play? <clears throat> well, we, uh, that was weird. We started that band in 2003 when Chronic Chaos died in 2003. So, like, literally, I'm wanting to say two or three months after Chronic Chaos broke up, that band started. Yeah, and even some of the, like, two of the same members. Two, Yeah, it was me and Aaron and then some people from, you know, another band that we're both close with, a band called yeah. Ripped Away. It just kind of, we, we formed together. Um, yeah, and then that band, we got real into it real quick. I was a drill sergeant. You can ask anybody in that band. I was... I was a dick in that band. Uh, we recorded a bunch of stuff at various studios. We had one song that was very popular, and uh, we broke up in like 2005. So we were oh, okay. we yeah, were a so band shorter than I even remembered. We were a band for like less than two years, and we even did a tour and everything. I mean, like I did not let those guys fucking breathe. Yeah, like it was it was pretty bad, and I feel bad about the whole thing. But then that band got back together in 2007. Okay. Okay. And then we did more stuff <laughs> cuz the second incarnation had Joel Green in the band. Yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense now like when I'm looking back on timeline. So then you played for another couple of years yeah. and then again the, priorities the, people drift like, you know, things yeah. changed when the band dissolves a portion of the band was then absorbed and became <laughs> The I I don't want I don't want to disparage you and refer to you guys as the backup band, but we, you guys became the band for the Ataris. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of I mean I'll I'll leave out certain details not to piss anybody off, but the Widow Jenkins, the band that we were talking about prior, mm-hmm. we we had a showcase at a fairly large independent book uh, independent record label in Chicago. I'll just let everybody figure out which one (laughs) and uh some shit went down and certain members of the band didn't want to go we had to go play in the warehouse of this record label and if if they liked us because they liked the demos if they liked us live they had contracts ready to go Mm -hmm. i was stoked like i i wasn't gonna let anything destroy or anything of course certain people had other ideas so we didn't end up going the next day i find out that uh, Chris Rowe from the Ataris, who I'd met many times, I wouldn't say we were super close, but yeah, there he is. He's he's mm-hmm. back in Indiana, and I didn't know anything about the Ataris. They hadn't done much for a while, and I'm thinking, okay, Brian and I own a studio. We have this this showcase for this band that now has less members. Chris Rowe's not doing anything. Let's see if he wants to be a part of this. And then maybe that'd be even more name recognition. And uh, my head's just spinning trying to figure shit out. Yeah. We get a hold of him. 
He says, yeah, send me the song. I sent him the song. He said he really liked it, thought it was cool. But he goes, but what I'm really trying to do is put the Ataris back together. And I'm going to I'm going to jump in just for a second to anyone who's listening uh, and may not be aware. The Ataris uh, originally from Indiana and then transplanted into California. Yeah, they had in the like what late 90s, early 2000s. Well, their big record was 2003, 2004. Okay, and then they yeah had a, a at least one really big record. They they almost had a platinum record. Yeah, yeah. It's and the the type of uh yeah like still the single played on the radio type of yeah. recognition at that point. But now we're jumping. You know, it's you know five six years later, whatever. And the next record did not do as well. So they were still yeah. doing well, but the band kind of fell apart, and Chris was the only original guy left. So. Okay, so yeah. Well, so yeah, in. so he he was like, you know, we're trying to do this, and in my mind, I'm like, I wanted my band to get signed, but fuck, man, I'd be I'll be in the Ataris, I'd kick ass, you know. So he came over to the studio, and he met Brian and I, and we jammed, and everything was cool, and we get done jamming, and, and oh, Jake was there too. I forgot Jake was there as well. Yeah, and that's three me, yes. yeah, me, Brian, and Jake, all guys from the Widow Jenkins. And so we get done jamming, and half the time it wasn't even Atari songs. We were playing, like, Kiss songs and fucking ACDC and this dumb shit that everybody knew how to play. And at the end of it, we're sitting in the studio in the control room, and he goes, so you guys want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. Like, what's the next step? He goes, well, we got a gig in Vegas in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) He knew why he was coming over, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think he just wanted to know, like, can I hang with these guys? How's it going to be? Yeah. And and it worked, man. Two weeks later, we were in Vegas at the Rio, literally in front of, like, 12,000 people, something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. So then you spend the next few years yeah. going on tours around the world. Yeah. I mean, God, we went to Africa. We were in the UK. We did it's all anywhere we went. We went everywhere. <laughs> it was great. So... But I will tell you, and I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah. So Chris had already done all that. Right. So me getting into this band, it was not control freak or anything, but it was me like, this is my shot. Everything I've ever wanted. I'm in a signed band. We're playing big shows. We're flying to fucking festivals and shit. Like, so I started hitting up Saturday Night Live and the booker at Jimmy Fallon and, and mm-hmm. the booker at Conan. And everyone was getting back to me and they're like, yeah, we love the band. Like, you know, like, let's talk about it. If you guys have a new single, like, come on Saturday Night Live. Like, it was fucking stupid because Chris was like, nah, man, we're cool. <laughs> like, we'll just, we know, we'll just play, we'll just sell out Maxwell's and Hoboken. Like, man, we don't need to be on Saturday Night Live. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> come on. So, yeah, it was, it was hard for me because I finally had. Not that my other bands weren't like real bands, but I finally had like, I was in a band that had a back catalog that had a built-in fan base and people at SNL and people at Jimmy Fallon would take my call. Yeah. You know, they were not going to take the call from the guy in Chronic Chaos, but they'll take the call from this other guy. So it was weird because I was pushing, 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 pushing. And we did cool stuff, and like I hooked up the Africa tour. I hooked up a bunch of shit. I hooked up sponsorships with shoe companies. Like I was trying to do anything I could to like put this band back to its former glory, you know. But Chris had already kind of been there and done that, and I can't fault him for that. 
No. And so the question I was going to ask you is that on paper, you're at where you wanted to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was making a living off music. I was, I'd go out on the road and I would come home and pay my mortgage and everything with money I made playing my fucking guitar. Yeah, that it was where I always wanted to be. But it wasn't your band. It wasn't my band. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, it's not a thing of where, like, I have to be in control of the music or I have to write it all or, like, I'm not one of those people. But if I'm going to be in something and I'm told that I'm, like, this equal partner or even more than equal because I handle business, that was a big plus for certain people in that band. Sure. I It's not even that I want taken care of better or anything. I just want to know that if I put a fucking shit ton of work into something, it's not going to get poo-pooed by somebody that it's their band. And so it has to be a big lesson for you because I'm sure until it actually happened, you would have thought, Oh, I'd be totally fine playing in somebody's band. Like you, you could have joined the E street band as we talked about earlier and been like, Oh, I'm the guitarist for the E street band. This is great. And then you get there and you realize, oh no, like I don't want to be yeah. the guitarist in the E Street Band. Like it, it says fucking Bruce Springsteen's name before it even <laughs> says the E Street Band. <laughs> well, and, I mean, and that's that's part of it, but really, it's not an ego thing. It's just the fact that when I joined that band, there there wasn't a team like they used to have. There wasn't a business yeah. manager. There wasn't a manager. There was, I was doing a lot of the business, and so in my mind, I'm trying to hook up deals. I'm trying to book stuff. I'm trying to like take it where it needs to go. And like I said, you know, like if it was my band, people would have just had to do that shit. Right. But it wasn't my band. So I can't be upset. It was just, you know, I don't know. (laughs) How did the reality of being on tour all the time end up comparing to what you thought it was going to be? Like, did it end up like, I know for me personally, after going out with bands, like I did when I was young, when I started doing comedy, I knew when I got into comedy, I didn't want to be like a road comic because I was like, I don't want to be gone yeah, all the time. Like I've got a a wife and stuff. Like I don't want to be away for the majority of the year. Well, I'll tell you it, uh, I don't talk about it very often. I think some of that had to do with my first marriage ending. Yeah. Uh, I won't say that was like the main cause, but it definitely affected it. It has to. I mean, it's going to affect any relationship, especially if it wasn't the way it was initially. And yeah. it's a change to the relationship. Yeah. In my mind, it was like, that was always the goal. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make it happen. But certain people that come into your life and maybe know that that's your goal, but don't ever think it's going to happen. Right. And yeah. then when it happens, it's like, they're freaked out. <laughs> and yeah. and I mean, and it was, it was tough. I mean, there was, I think I missed a friend's wedding. I think I missed like a family thing one time and, and I'm sitting in a hotel room in like Pomona, California, and I'm missing shit that I would have been there for. And I was willing to do that, but it wasn't the nonstop Van Halen Motley Crue party that everybody thinks it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. I won't take any of that back. I mean, I've, toured with many bands and it was all great in its own way, but there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of time to sit and reflect. 
I'm, I'm glad I was never like a big drinker or a drug guy because I, yeah. I probably would have really gotten into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So how many years did you work with the Ataris? Uh, two or three. I mean, it, it was, it was a good amount of time, but it, it wasn't insane. Like Brian was in that band for like a decade. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. our friend. Brian spent a, quite a few years doing it. You then I don't know the exact timeline, but then you ended up, you were living in Alabama <laughs> and you were, you were like booking and, and like running a, a performance like venue. Uh, my, okay. So, uh, Tim Glass, which is the singer of uh, the Widow Jenkins Adams, it's his dad. Yeah, he is related to me through marriage. <laughs> his, mm-hmm. his brother married my mom, so uh, <clears throat> sorry. We we went down to visit him one time because it was down in Gulf Shores on the beach, Alabama, real pretty. And I got hooked up with these people that own this big restaurant venue for tourists called the Hangout. And they also have the Hangout Music Festival. It's like Stevie Wonder and Tom Petty and Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters. It's like mm. huge on the beach, three days, 50,000 people. It's insane. So I applied to be their corporate director of entertainment, where I would be the talent booker. I would handle the budget for the year. I was uh, one of the lead guys on the A&R department for the festival every year. It was a big, massive job that I didn't even really know what it entailed. But I thought, I'll figure it out. Fuck it. And I got hired. And it scared the shit out of me. And I was working 100 hours a week and riding a golf cart around and signing contracts and doing all the bullshit. (laughs) And I I liked it. I was there for close to six years. Yeah. And it was fun. But the last year I was in Alabama, I ended up leaving that job because I just got burnt out. And I got, I got sick of, even though it was in the music industry and I was working with, you know, meeting Tom Petty and doing all this dumb shit that I never like crazy shit. Yeah. It wasn't for me. I was making some other dude rich and I wasn't getting to enjoy, you know what I mean? Like I, it was the first time in my life I wasn't like hustling to make it, you know? Yeah. The common theme we're, we're saying here is that you're, you're trying to find yours yeah, you're trying to get yours, and you're realizing that you can make a living helping other people achieve theirs. Oh yeah, but it's it isn't the same. Well, I mean, even after that job, I lived in in Montego Bay, Jamaica, for a while <laughs> because I got an entertainment director consulting job at Margaritaville, thinking that oh, wow, thinking that I would like. <laughs> oh well, I did it in Alabama. It'll be just as easy. It was the same kind of work, but you don't realize that when you go live in Jamaica, it's not sandals. Yeah. Like like you're living like sandals was down the street from my condo. But once you get out into Jamaica, you're in fucking Jamaica. Yeah. And I mean, I've done a lot of traveling, been to a lot of places that were kind of sketchy. But, you know, that was that was very trying. My my son was a month old when we moved to Jamaica. He was yeah. the youngest kid ever in Gulf Shores, Alabama to get his passport. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I I tried the the entertainment, the corporate entertainment world. Yeah. And I was pretty good at it, but it just it never fulfilled anything. And and I I'm not one of those people that think like, "Oh, I have to love my job." No, I want to feed my kids. I want to be an adult and have responsibilities, but 
I just, every time I get burnout, man, I just think of, well, I could go back to teaching because I love teaching kids yeah. guitar. And, and when did you start doing that? I started teaching guitar in 2003. Okay. So it's something that like when you weren't on the road, it yeah. was something that you, you could always be doing. I had a really, that. I had a really good group of kids that through all of my touring and all the bands that I played with or toured with, their parents were cool with, Hey, I'm going to leave for a month. When I come back, can we start lessons back up? And they would just always come back. So it was kind of like I could leave whenever I wanted. I was my own boss. And when I would get back off tour, I'd have 30 students. You know what I mean? Like it just, it worked that way. I really loved it. And I still, I'm doing that now again. That's my job now. And and tell me also about, because something else that you've been doing while you've been teaching these kids is the rock and roll summer camp. Yeah, that was, that was something, uh, it was during, um, I think we started in 2005 or 2006. It was Brian and I who played in the Ataris with me, our mutual Mm -hmm. friend. Um, We watched School of Rock one day at his house. And we, th- I, I looked at him and I said, we could do this. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you could do this. I couldn't do this. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it by myself. I said, I have all these students. They're all about that age. What if we did it like an immersive workshop where these kids didn't just play the songs and learn how to do music theory and whatever, but they actually put bands together like they did on that movie. Yeah. And I finally talked Brian into it because I was scared. I didn't want to do it by myself. And we promoted it in that first camp. We had like, I think 15 kids mm-hmm. and then we started doing two a year and then three a year. And like by the end of it, before I started it back up, we had like 40 to 50 kids per session. Yeah. And then I moved to Alabama and did all that moved stuff. Jamaica. Moved to Jamaica. <laughs> then I moved back to Alabama from Jamaica and then I moved from Alabama back to Indiana and I started it up again and until the pandemic, we were doing three a year, and it, it's the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. It can, it can trump playing on tour. It can, like, hanging out with those kids, the ones that really get it. You know what I mean? Nobody mm-hmm. nobody helped me when I was young. I had to figure all that shit out. So to sit there, and we'll have, like, an hour-long meeting about what happens if you leave someone at a truck stop on tour. Or, like, we just we talk about all kinds of, like stuff that you need to know about being in a band, how it's like a marriage and you have to compromise with people and you have to delegate work. And like, we, we talk about everything that it takes to be in a working band. And when you see these kids, like there's kids that have been in camp that are now in bands that are signed. Yeah. Like the Ponce brothers, they live in Nashville. They have a fucking record deal. They started at camp, you know, like, well, one of the kids in your first camp ended up being in your band and being in the Ataris. Yeah. <laughs> Jake gets up there at lunch. He goes, can I play drums? And he just blows my fucking mind. And I'm I'm like, dude, Brian, let's get this guy for the Ataris. I know, for, yeah, he's, I know he's only like 15. So when you come back to Indiana, you've now you did the world tours. Yeah. You did the corporate side. Mm-hmm. You come back to what you know. I'm going to teach kids yeah. guitar. I'm going to run rock and roll summer camp. At that point, then what is the shift in the mentality? What does the goal become then? And what does the 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 change in what it means to be successful? Because you two different times now have seen what you thought was what the goal was. I mean, I guess the goal now... When I was in the Ataris, I, I didn't have kids, you know, mm-hmm. kids, they do change everything. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. That's one thing of I'm I'm really glad. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. I'm really glad that I had my first son in my late 30s as opposed to like my mid to late 20s because I got to do a lot of shit and kind of mm-hmm. get that out of my system. And then, you know, by the time I'm almost 40 years old, like, oh, I'm going to have a kid. Cool. Like, I, I don't have to like, man, I wish I could do all this stuff. Like, I've, I've kind of already had some fun and seen stuff and done stuff. But I don't think it has to be over when you have kids. It just has to be different. So the goal for me now, I still have aspirations of writing and releasing music. I still have aspirations of the podcast becoming wildly more successful than it already is. But success to me now is living a comfortable life with my kids and my wife Maybe not in Indiana all the time. Like we're we we're here now. It's working. I'm. It's cool. But we have plans of maybe going to Nashville or going to Arizona. Like we don't know. We we kind of just we want to try something new at some point. We've been yeah. back for three years, and maybe it's time to try something different. But I think I am content to just work a job now that is fun. <laughs> And pays mm-hmm. the bills. Like teaching kids guitar is fun. I love it. Yeah. I, I have loved it since I started it. Now it's more full time. I mean, the pandemic kind of squashed it for a while, but I'm now back trying to do it full time. I have my own place on Tillotson downtown or down on the west side of town. And do you uh did you do anything <coughs> virtual? Were you doing like Zoom call guitar lessons? We we did that for a while. I think I had ten or fifteen kids that were doing that. And it worked for the most part. But like it's easy if the kids know, like they've been taking lessons for three years and they were doing like theory or we're doing like some kind of technique exercise or something. But the kids that like they're five or six years old, it's hard to not be there and like put your finger here and you yeah, know, like yeah, do that yeah. kind of stuff. So the older kids, it worked fairly well. I'm glad I'm back doing it in person for the most part. Now I have a, a big studio now down on down on by the college and I have enough room to socially distance while we're doing the lesson. So the health department was cool with doing it mm-hmm. and people are slowly coming back. I'm still not at capacity like I used to be. Sure. But, but yeah, I think now having kids, you know, I have a, I have a nice place to live. We don't worry about where we're going to get food. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, I think that is the goal. Now the goal is to just give my kids a good, upbringing and a good childhood not have them stress about very much and yeah i'm still a musician i still want to do it i have new music coming out like i you know i i still want to be a creative person Mm -hmm. and i still want to share what i make with people but is there some big end game now i kind of feel like i don't want this to sound cocky or like conceited but I meet people that have said, man, I would kill to do what you did. And I kind of like, I've done a lot of shit. Like Mm, just even even talking to you and like kind of laying it out on a timeline, it blows my fucking mind. Yeah. I feel like I'm 20 years old, man. I feel like me and you are fucking running around Matthews together. Like (laughs) it doesn't feel real to be this old and that all that time has passed and I've done all that shit. And I mean, I don't know. I I feel lucky. I did work hard. I think that, you know, I always said you make your own luck. Sure. You know, 
but I, I feel lucky that I've gotten to do what I did and I was in the right place at the right time. And I got to do things that some people really would like to do. And now that I'm in my early forties and I have two children and a wife and a house, like I just, there's no big end game. I just want everyone to be happy and be able to live a good life. You know, can you imagine? And and people do this every day, but can you imagine for you right now to be in Germany? No. Saying good night to your kids. No. Over an iPad. Well, I mean that, that's the thing. Okay. So, I know we'll talk about it at some point, but I have a new band. We we just signed yeah. we just signed with a new record label, and the record label is out of Austria, and mm. we have already had interest in a European tour, a Japanese tour, and an Australia tour. And this is what I told the guys. I was like, "I'm down, but no more than like a week and a half, two weeks tops." Yeah. Cause like I went on before the pandemic hit, I went out to Oregon to visit some family. I took my mom out there and it was the first time ever that I had been away from my kids for more than a day. Oh yeah. And it, it was brutal. I'm not going to lie, but you know, after a couple of days, like we would do FaceTime and it was cool and I knew I was coming home. So I I've told like some of these tour companies and the label, like I'm down to do some stuff like that, but I'm not 20 years old and I have kids yep. And, you know, like if we, I told the, the, the Japanese promoter, I'm like, well, what do you want? And they're like two weeks of shows. I'm like, we'll do a week. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, I mean, cause I know I'm not going to make my living off of this new group that I'm in. Yeah. It's going to be a fun thing to do and I get to express myself, but I'm not going to miss things my kids are doing to go live out some rock and roll bullshit fantasy. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I know that you and I, like our kids are firstborns are several years apart how old are your kids right now silas will be five in april okay and india is three right now she will be four in october okay so my piper is 10 and margo will be seven next week wow so some difference there in years but i know that both of us were highly impacted when our firstborn was coming oh, yeah. by that documentary, The Other F Word. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you straight up, dude, like, you know, because we're friends and we talk all the time and you follow kind of what I'm doing. I've had Jim from Pennywise and I've had mm-hmm. now Fat Mike and I've had Lars from Ranzen and I've asked them about that documentary. Every one of those dudes, even on the Fat Mike episode, we talk about it. Yeah. That affected me. When Lars is like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have got punks tattooed on my forehead, yeah, but yeah. you know, fuck it. You know, like th- yeah. that thing so affected me so much. Yeah. It is a punk rockers from the era that when we grew up from the nineties who became fathers yeah. and then how that affects. And it's mostly following one, the guy from Pennywise who's yeah. like, I, I got to stop touring. I want to be there for my kids and how that affects the members of his band. It's a wonderful documentary. Yeah. And like the members of his band, they never really had kids. Yeah. Like I've gotten really close now with Randy, their bass player. And now he has kids and he's like, as soon as I had kids, I got what Jim was saying. But before I had kids, I didn't get it. Yeah. It it really does affect it. Like you, I analyze it all the time because as you pursue these endeavors, there are, have been years where five nights a week I'm not home. I mean, I remember following the stuff on Facebook. You were doing some touring. You were going to Philly and the different places and like Pittsburgh, yeah. right? 
Yeah, and it became it's hard because then I'm always bitter when I'm home. I'm always tired yep. because I'm like running my ass off a million different directions. And then you, you stop and evaluate like, is it worth like what my kids like? They they got to have a relationship with their their father. <laughs> and am I making enough money? to justify like to be like a 1950s traveling salesman. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not making that. I'm it. The money isn't good enough for that. And the pandemic I know for myself and a lot of people was kind of awakening because a lot of times we think being busy means we're being productive. Yeah. Yeah. And that is not always the case. And I think it, for me, the downtime has been really good to stop and reevaluate some things and, and realize that I, I can't go back to the same schedule. I have to be a little bit more selective about the things that I'm doing because obviously the relationship with the children is more important. I say, and this is like, you know, a, a kind of a dark thing, but like when I die, all these people from my shows aren't going to be the ones at my fucking funeral. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's well, going to be my kids that are crying. Well, yeah, now. that's the thing. Like, you know, going on tour and leaving my kids to fend Phelps or whatever. Like the people that come to see the show, they're not going to give a fuck when I die. My kids are right. going to care. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. All right. So let's move into the positive here. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Let's steer away. Yeah, not about death and mortality. Uh, but so you started after you move back, you start teaching the kids doing the rock and roll summer camp. Then you launch this podcast. Yeah. You're getting to have conversations with people that you've listen to their music your entire life. You're making connections with different people and getting to live like a pretty good, like uh, life. You have a family, yeah. you're paying your bills with what you like to do. And I mean, the, the podcast actually, I mean, I don't, it's tacky to talk about money, but it covers some, some bills. <laughs> it, yeah, it does pretty wonderful. well. Yeah. And you have a diversified portfolio. Yeah. Everything has come together the you know how to talk you be you're able to be an interviewer you have performance experience yeah. in music and in comedy you you know how to edit the things yourselves yeah. you know how to run the business side and you're a musician yourself so you know how to talk to musicians and ask the questions to motivate the conversations and that i that is why your podcast is successful to answer the question that you posed yeah. <laughs> about it earlier that's why it's successful because of all of this that you've brought together into the one product to me looking at it from the outside it is the culmination of all the things you've done over the past couple of decades i, I can see that and and the one thing like I'm not like a super cocky person. Like I know I'm a pretty good guitar player. I've, I've studied it my life, my whole life. I know that, yeah. you know, they used to make fun of me. Like, you know, Chris has got a riff. He can always just shit a riff out. Like I've, I've been good at that shit my whole life. I, I don't think that I'm amazing at anything. I think I'm pretty good at a lot of stuff. And so when I'm talking to these people on the podcast, the one thing that most of them say after we turn off the recorder is, man, that was a lot of fun. It didn't even feel like an interview. And yeah. that means the world to me because some of these guys, I'm literally sweating and shitting myself because I'm getting ready to talk to somebody that I've, I've loved since I was 14 and I get on the mm -hmm. phone with them and 10 minutes in, I feel like I'm talking to you. Like yeah. it, and I don't know. I mean, I always fanboy out. Like I can't not fanboy out. That's just how I am. But it's, it's a really good compliment to me and it makes everything worthwhile that some of these guys that 
even like Mike, he does not like doing interviews. At the end of that interview, he's mm-hmm. like, man, that was cool. Thanks. Like, it it makes me feel good because I never set out to be like journalist guy or interviewer guy. Like, yeah. so tell me about the new record. Like, I'm not, I'm not that dude. <laughs> but I ask questions that I want to know about. And sometimes I think, well, man, nobody's going to care about this but me. But then people actually, I think it's because they're different questions. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe it's because I'm a musician and I've been on the road and and we can we're kind of kindred spirits or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I just I really love doing it. I, I love doing the podcast almost as much as I do like playing music. Like it's it's become this yeah. this other thing, this other creative outlet. And I, I love doing it, man. It's so much fun. Now what this has all been building to, tell me about the new record. <laughs> <laughs> you do have a new I, band. You mentioned it before. You and that's a, I, I would assume this is also a byproduct of the podcast and relationships. Everything built. in my life that's creative in the last three years is, is a byproduct of the podcast, uh, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, through doing the podcast, I uh, I've met a lot of people that I really respected. A couple of those people have become friends of mine. And uh, one of those guys is Matt Riddle. He used to play for Face to Face and uh, mm-hmm. No Use for a Name. He was in Poli for a while. He was also in 22 Jacks. It was just a bunch of crazy bands. Yeah. Well, we got to be fairly close, and I'd written some music. And uh, I said, hey, man, I'm going to send you these these demos. I'd like to know what you think. And then I put in another text. I was like, and hey, if you want to play on them, it's totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't say anything back to me. And I woke up the next day and he'd played bass on both of them. So what did you send him? Was it just guitar? It was guitar. And uh, I've gotten fairly good at programming drums. So, and I have this program that just, it uses samples from like the black album. It sounds fucking sick. So I've gotten to the fact to where I can use the velocity thing and make it sound like a human's playing the drums. I'm not great Mm -hmm. at doing fills because I'm not a drummer, but I can make straight beats and it's, it's enough for a demo, you know? So, yeah, yeah. so I sent him, and they're all to a click track. They're all set up time-wise. So I sent it to him, and then, like, I woke up the next day, and he'd recorded bass on him and sent him back to me. And and, and it's that signature, Matt Riddle. It sounds like you know who it is. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was like, well, shit, now we've got something. And then I had this guy, Brian, who is, uh, he's won a bunch of Grammys for, like, Amy Winehouse and Justin Bieber and Paramore and all this weird crap. (laughs) And he was like, well, hey, if you want to do this, man, like I'll mix it and master it and like kind of produce it with you. And I was like, "Okay." I said, I don't have any money. He's like, I don't care. I'm bored. It's the pandemic. I'm like, "Okay, cool. Yeah. So I wrote a couple more songs and Matt was on board. And then Brian was like, well, you need to play some more guitar on these songs. I'm like, well, I'd rather just get someone else to play with me. And I had just done an episode with Tim from Protest the Hero, which is a band I've loved for you know, 15 years. And I asked him, he's like, yeah, it sounds cool. And I sent him the songs and he loved it. And he's playing piano on it too. And we needed a singer. And I'd, I'd done this kind of quarantine project with this guy named Pedro from Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, he's in Ann Beretta. You remember that band? Yeah. I remember. He, he's not an original guy, but he's in Ann Beretta now. He was also in a band called fun size. They were, they were on uh capital records for a while. But he's got a killer voice. He owns a recording studio in Richmond. And we had worked together on this little song that we did a long time ago. And I said, hey, do you want to try to sing in this band with me and a dude from No Use for Name and a dude from Princess Zero? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yeah. So 
it just kind of came together. And originally Tucker from Thursday was going to drum. And because I've known Tucker forever and he, uh, he recorded to the demos and then he's just so busy. He's doing stuff with Frank from my chemical romance. He's doing the Thursday stuff. They just signed a new record deal. So I had to get another drummer. So we got this guy named Will. He's a session guy. He's done a lot of work. He's actually doing work with uh, Run Run DMC. Uh, DMC's son is called. His name's D Son. <laughs> He's doing a rap record with this guy, and he, I'm playing. I'm playing okay. some guitar on that record. I don't know when it's gonna come out cool. or anything, but uh, yeah. But so, so we got this whole. Like, this is kind of long winded story, but oh, we we got right. this the group together, and it was kind of it actually was a band, and so. Uh, there's this band that I love on Fat Records called Get Dead. Have you heard that new Get Dead record? I haven't, no, but I'll check it Dude, out. Dude, rancid and hip hop, and uh, it's the best thing. You need to check it out. It's called yeah. Dancing with the Curse. It's the best shit in the world. But uh, Sam from Get Dead, we've gotten close because he's been on the podcast a couple times, and he sent me a copy of the record, and there's a song in there called Fire Sale. And you you know what a fire sale is, right? Like you're going out of business, every, fire yeah. sale. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to name a band. For yeah. months, for a couple months, I was trying to pick a name, and I had a million fucking names. And you do the Google search, and you do the Facebook search, and blah blah blah. Yeah. So I was listening to that Get Dead record one night, and I heard that song Fire Sale. And it's a really good song too. So I was like, Fire Sale, that's a cool name. It kind of sounds dark, but it's just a what you call a going out of business sale. Yeah. So I Googled it and there's one band called fire sale. That's a cover band. And the last thing they did on any social media was 2007. So okay. I'm like, so you're probably, I'm like, clear. fuck that. I'm taking it. <laughs> and we did that and we've just been working really, really hard. And, uh, we ended up getting a lot of interest. There was five or six different labels that were looking at us and we decided to, they all wanted to do full length. So we didn't want to do a full length out of the gate. We wanted to just do a seven inch, inch single just to kind of introduce the band. And because uh -huh. we didn't want to be like, hey, here's 12 songs. And then nobody fucking buys it. You know, like a, a seven yeah. inch, two, two sure. songs, someone's going to buy it. So we, we signed with SBAM Records, which they say spam, but I, I have a hard time saying it because it sounds like spam. And, yeah. uh, S B A M. Yeah, S B A M yeah. records out of they're out of Austria and uh Are they putting out a Frenzel Rom? Yeah, yeah. They're, well they're they're album that's what they're reissuing the first Frenzel Rom album. Okay. Uh but they there's bands on there like uh they're doing like Ten Foot Pole, they're doing uh a pulley record. Like it's a lot of the bands that we were talking about before where maybe they were huge in the nineties, but now it's like they're not as big, but they're still putting out new records. That's what like yeah. spam records is putting out stuff like that. Like the, the older gotcha. fat bands, the older epitaph bands, stuff like that. And they yeah. loved our stuff and they offered us a deal and it was a pretty sweet deal. And we're going to see what fucking happens, I guess. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So the podcast is kicking the fire sale, the new band, a seven inch soon. When do you think that's going to well, happen? Well, we got the master back for the first single today. And uh, we're pretty happy with it. We might make some adjustments. We're almost done mixing the second song. Uh, they want to do a couple month lead in, but we'll probably do singles, like one single per month. So I would say by the beginning of summer, it might be out. It might be a little longer. I, I, it's been so long since I've worked with a label. I don't really know how 
you release stuff sure. now because it's all because the thing is like pre-save the digital single and then then pre-order for the seven inch you get the seven inch in six yeah. months like i don't know how the shit works you know yeah i know mine my album it was a about a six month turnaround and that's you know so much lower production yeah. when you're talking about just a live stand-up recording compared to producing. i've played your music. stuff on my podcast yes you have <laughs> and i appreciate that where Tell people the social media. Where can they they follow what's going on? With okay, you? well, if you want to check out the podcast, it is uh, on all of the socials at T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you would like to check out my band, it is at Fire Sale is a band. <laughs> I was going to do I was going to do at Fire Sale, but it was like literally some kind of like clothing, like yeah. secondhand store in Richmond or somewhere. I don't even know what the fuck it was. Yeah. So, yeah, at Fire Sale is a band. Uh, if you want to check my shit out, it's normally the same shit I post there, but also pictures of my kids and stuff. It's at Swiss FTW. And it's not for yeah. the win. It's because I listen <laughs> to Tupac. It's fuck the world. <laughs> got it. Got my it, wife got asked it. me, well, my Chris, wife asked me why my name on all the social media was Swiss FTW. She's like, is that for the win? I'm like, no, nah, just listen to all eyes on me by Tupac and you'll yeah. get it. There you go. Listen to Tupac and you'll get it. That's the message. <laughs> if I if I can tell your here. listeners anything else, <laughs> it's listen to Tupac Shakur. Shakur. How's yeah. it? Is it Shakur or Shakur? I, I think it's know. Shakur. My Indiana accent is only going to be able to say it one way, regardless of how it's actually well, here, pronounced. Weird tangent before you tell me to get lost. Sure. Say the word T-O-U-R. Tour? Tour, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. tour. No, I get people all the time that listen to my show that fucking bitch me out because of how I say the word tour. It's two. That's interesting. Like the number two. -er. Yeah. Tour. And I mean, and they they want you to say tour tour tour. And I don't know, like, I don't even remember where they're from, but they'll call my hotline and they'll say (laughs) they'll, they'll say, hey, man, love the show. Wish you could fucking say tour. (laughs) <laughs> one the thing that i've realized like it, it's been made very apparent to me over the years by different people that how thick my accent is See, i, I don't but, think i have one i don't think you have one either but i mean i guess that's because i'm I, from here exactly i cannot say the the two words like the color of your shirt like whether it's red or blue and the color of your shirt that you button it, that is the same word to me, and I cannot say. Those so you're two you're words saying the color or the collar? Yes, both are collar. Both are collar. Either okay. way, I try. I hear the way you say it, and I try to repeat that, and it doesn't sound any different. Collar, collar, and collar. So, it's the same can, word. I can't do it. Can you say say cuck? Cuck. Now say color. Color. There. Now. But that's weird because that's a U, not an O. That's this well, is what's that's so because English fucking sucks, dude. That's true. So if there's a second thing that people should know about, wait, the, wait there's hold two on. things. It's listen to two. And English fucking sucks. <laughs> and English fucking sucks. Chris Sweaty, thank you so much for talking to me, man. I'll uh, I'll talk dude, to you, dude. I had a blast, and uh, you got to come on my show again soon, okay? And we have to also hang out. That's not on a fucking podcast. Yeah, when we get vaccinated, we'll come see each other. <laughs> Two doses. <laughs> Later, Two doses. dude.